0: And welcome to episode 326 of the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Dennis Kennedy in Ann Arbor. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. In our last episode, we introduced uh, you all to the world of digital twins and some of what that might mean for all of us. You should stay right here, but send your digital twin to listen to that episode right now. In this episode, Tom and I want to share some of our thinking and a few experiments in another newly named area, generative artificial intelligence or generative AI. Tom... What's all on our agenda for this episode? Well, Dennis, in this edition of the Kennedy Mile
1: Report, we will indeed be discussing the idea of generative artificial intelligence and whether or not it's going to take anybody's job away. In our second segment, we can't stop agonizing about whether we should stick with or leave Twitter. So we're going to consider whether an old technology is suddenly hot again. And as usual, we'll finish up with our parting shots, that one tip website or observation that you can start to use the second that this podcast is over. But first up, We've lately been in the mood to identify and talk about some new technology developments that we don't see a lot of in the legal tech space and introduce them to our audience. Uh, we did it uh, about digital twins last time. In this episode, we're gonna be talking about something called generative AI, generative artificial intelligence. Now, it's not quite true. We have talked about artificial intelligence being able to generate content via GPT-3 in past episodes. I think it was last year, it may have been earlier this year. And I guess I'm surprised to see how fast the technology has exploded, how much it has advanced since we covered it in that podcast a while back. Dennis, were you able to successfully resist the urge to let GPT-3 generate your first comments for this podcast? You
0: know, actually I was, but it was very tempting to see what I could do. I'm sort of going to guess that maybe you weren't, but you're always... uh, trying these experiments for the for the podcast. Do you want to, I guess, this one we really do have to define, do you want to jump in and uh, with the definition there? Well,
1: you've found this definition. And so I would be fine with you talking about it, because I, I'll read the definition that you've put in here, but it feels um, weighty to me. So I'll read this here. Generative AI refers to unsupervised and semi-supervised machine learning algorithms that enable computers to use existing content like text, audio, and video files, images, and even code to create new possible content. The main idea is to generate completely original artifacts that would look like the real deal. That last sentence to me is really the most important part of that whole thing. That first sentence, what it essentially is is it's taking a body of knowledge, whether that is text, whether that's audio, whether that's video, learning as much as they can about it, so that you so that the artificial intelligence can actually generate new, completely, never seen before. Content, whether that's an image, whether that's a story or a letter or other kinds of text, um, whether that's an audio or a video file. Mm -hmm. So it's an idea of being able to create something completely new where nothing existed before. Mm -hmm. And I would say that that's different from regular AI because it is complete creating something completely new where you know what I call regular, and I put that in quotes is essentially analyzing something that already exists. Generative AI goes beyond that. It, it analyzes something that already exists, and then it makes something new from it.
0: Yeah, and I, I think it really is as simple as that, although, you know, obviously the results are, are, are more complicated. But... Generative AI is, it really just means the AI is generating something, uh, whereas uh, normally we just think of AI as analyzing things, recognizing patterns, uh, you know, helping us, uh, you know, look at things and and draw our own conclusions. Well, the generative takes it the next step and, and actually is creating something. And it's, as you mentioned, Tom, it's, it, it feels like in the last two months or so, it's just exploded, uh, you know, with how many different things you, you can do. And it's surprising when you think anything that you could do with text, you can do audio, you can do images, you can do video. I mean, uh, people are even writing a software code uh, using generative AI tools. So it's, it's really a pretty amazing uh, thing and, and how fast it's it's happened. But before we enthuse too much about it and talk and, and you know, have these sort of abstract definitions, Tom, maybe maybe good to uh, give some examples to illustrate what we mean.
1: So I think that what examples to uh, what we, we mean, I'm going to give some of the tools that I've seen over the past couple of months. And I think you have some that, some examples you want to mention. I will only mention in passing Dolly 2, um, because both of us use it. We have both talked about it on the podcast before and how we were signing up for it. I'll leave you to talk more about how that works. What's been interesting, though, is, is that Dolly 2 relies on you to sign up for it. It relies on, in fact, it will charge for things at some point in time down the road if you if you run too many uh, uh, experiments or, or tests against it. The tools that I'm seeing that have jumped out from that, um, there are other tools very similar to it, like a tool called Journey AI. Very similar, will create images based on your text prompts for what it is, stability AI. The thing that makes stability AI different is that it's open source. It's free to use. Now, when we get to the what's bad about this area of the podcast later, I'm going to talk to you about some things that concern me. Generally, we are fans of open source, free to use. And for all I know, Dennis may still be a fan of stability AI being open source and free to use. I'm not so sure. We'll talk about that in a minute. More than 200,000 people have downloaded. The code for Stability AI since August. Um, it offers some interesting new things like what's something called outpainting. So you take a like you take a, a regular picture that uh, you upload a, a a copy of the Mona Lisa and you say please draw what would be around the Mona Lisa. And so it starts taking cues from what it can see around uh, what the current picture says and it begins to interpret it and says here's what we think is outpainted from uh, what's in. Leonardo da Vinci's original painting. Um, There's also, I think where we're seeing it happen is there's a stable diffusion plugin for Photoshop now. So you can actually install it in Photoshop and will allow you to infinitely edit images in that tool. So already we're taking these AI tools and moving them into tools that we already know about. There's a tool called Jasper. Jasper helps you create marketing copy. It will allow you to develop stuff to put on your blog or to develop marketing uh, campaigns. There are uh, multiple writing tools. One of them is called PseudoWrite. That helps you write novels and screenplays. It'll help you write things. It'll help you describe. If, you, if you're if you having trouble describing something, you put in a few words, and it helps you describe it. It'll help you rewrite something. It'll take something you've written and rewrite it if you need to. It'll help you brainstorm ideas for a screenplay or for a novel. Like Dennis mentioned, there are generative AI tools that help you with code. GitHub has the tool called GitHub Copilot. Type a few lines of code, and that tool will start writing code for you. Um, Kind of scary. Um, And then the one to me that is really interesting, although I haven't really seen it in action that much, is a tool called Runway, um, which allows someone who is creating a movie to live edit in a background, remove objects, Anything that would ordinarily require a digital effect artist, you can do by just typing in some text and getting it done. We've mentioned on the podcast before the tool Descript, which will basically create a a deepfake worthy version of your voice uh, or of someone else's voice. Tons and tons of options. I've spent a lot more time talking about it than I probably should have. But those are kind of the examples that I've taken a look at and I've
0: been seeing. Dennis, what about you? I look primarily at the core tools and that to me is like for text it's GPT-3, for images it's DALI-2 or uh, the stable Diffusion uh, tool. Uh, For music, there's something called Jukebox. And for video, the company that used to be known as Facebook, Meta has something called uh, Meta AI Make a Video. And so those are things that if you want to get a sense of what's going on out there, those are the things I would probably look at and then dig deeper. I just saw... I think it was today or yesterday that somebody's created a GPT three based legal uh, specific generating tool. So you're seeing a lot happening uh, fast. And so the the idea here is that these these tools have been trained on massive massive uh, amounts of of text in the case of GPT three or images and with. Tons of uh, takes tons of computer power to do it, and you're able to kind of tap into them. And so, GPT-3 is it looks at the looks at the text uh, and then kind of predicts what's likely to come come next, and and it's keeps learning associations of words and sequences, and it's it, you can start to produce pretty uh, um, amazing things with it. Uh, so once you start to see some of the examples, it's uh, it's sort of astonishing. And Tom, one of my favorites is, and I, I don't know that maybe we can find a link for for the uh, the show notes. But I saw this like page and a half description of or a d- definition of AI generated by an AI, and I think it was out of GPT three, and it was actually it was pretty darn good.
1: Well, I don't know if that was that study that, that, that was submitted, a study paper where they asked AI to generate a report on itself, um, and I know it was being submitted to major scientific journals, and they were going to let let them know when some journal had accepted it for publication. Um, but, I mean, if it hasn't happened yet, it's going to happen. It's just something that uh, that is only a matter of time because, you know, sometimes – Sometimes the text is scarily good. Sometimes it's not relevant at all. It's trying, but I think the benefit of it is it gives people who are writers the ability to see things that maybe they didn't see before. And the tool gives them some text that maybe helps them look at things, uh, look at the issues or what they're trying to write or what they're trying to create in a slightly different way. It may not be relevant at all to what they want to create, but it might help them nevertheless.
0: Yeah. And, and I see it as I as I've started to see all AI is I think it's really useful for this kind of first slice it thing or first draft or to kind of give you, you know, a, a initial screening of what you're doing. And so for me, the benefit and, and you'll see some examples here uh, out there and it doesn't take much to find them because you see more and more all the time of, you know, Somebody could say, "I would like to uh, to generate a non-disclosure agreement," and it actually does a pretty good job of that, or can do a pretty good job of it. And and I guess the the other thing I would say about all of this is a, a really key thing for people to understand is I think it works on the basis of prompts. So you're basically, uh, and I use Dolly too as the example that you go in and you say what you want it to give you. Uh, So I was doing a PowerPoint slide, and the point of of my presentation was about irrelevance. Um, And so I decided I wanted to generate a a graphic for that slide. And so uh, I went to Dolly 2, and I typed into the prompt box. I said, irrelevance in the style of Picasso. Uh, So very simple prompt. And it created this really cool little graphic that kind of gave you this vague sense of irrelevance, but it was a cool looking uh, Picasso-like thing. But it's that sort of prompt notion where you're saying, you're, you're telling it what you want to, uh, want to do uh, in a descriptive way or a prompting way, and then it produces the output. So lots of, I think, potential benefits in creating first drafts, summaries, you know, kind of creating images and stuff like that, even if you're not very sophisticated. So tons of benefits. Tom, you might have others, but Tom, as I I know you will point out, there are plenty of concerns these days.
1: Well, there are, and I don't mean to be the cold water on all of this uh, because I still really like this and think that this is a great tool, but there are things you have to think about, which is one. Will this replace content creators? There have been a lot of articles out there that say that, um, you know, when, when writing goes to zero because you don't have to do it anymore, you rely on somebody else. You know, artists, writers, videographers, voiceover artists could find themselves out of a job because it would be easy easier to create using these tools than to actually employ people to do that. Let's extend it into legal. Could there be, you know, Dennis, you mentioned there's a new tool out there. Could text generator tools be used for legal briefs or other legal writings? Absolutely. Why not? And would that be the type of commoditized work that associates would do or that we would have? I, I, I don't think that that generative AI is going to replace a lawyer and their advice, but can it be do the same type of replacing that document assembly could for lawyers as well? Um, I think humans are still going to create They're individual sentences for a very long time, but AI is going to help remind us of related ideas that we might not have considered. Obviously, deep fakes are a concern, the fact that you can create um, videos or audios that uh, look like the real person um, and fool people doing it. The, the interesting thing about most of these generative AI tools is that they've got very strict rules in place to prevent users from creating violent contact, pornographic content, copyright infringing content, but stable diffusion doesn't have any of that. So the, the stable, Stability AI that we talked about, it only has a basic safety filter, which actually can be disabled. Um, and as a result, what we've been seeing is the internet being flooded with a lot of bad stuff. A number of uh, Reddit sites were shut down after they were inundated with non-consensual nude images. There were people creating images of violently beaten Asian women for some reason. The founder of Stability of AI pushes back back against the restrictions. He says, and I'm quoting this, he says that radical freedom is necessary to achieve his vision of a democratized AI that is untethered from corporate influence, which I think is a good goal. I think think we want to make sure... I, I, I like the goal, but it also sounds... The way that he says that is is radical freedom uh, feels a little bit like a stereotypical movie villain to me that uh, uh, is unleashing something upon the world by the end of the movie. Um, That's only a slightly dramatic way. I I am concerned about a tool that anybody can download and use without restriction, and I, I think that there needs to be some way to combat it or control it. You can't guarantee that only good people will use this and only people obviously we're seeing that that's not happening so you know it concerns me that it like anything else can be used for bad things i think the stability ai person basically is using the same kind of article that i mean the time, same kind of argument that says that you know ai doesn't generate bad content people using ai generate bad content and true but still, um, it's just a concern. It's something we need to pay attention to and be aware of as we're looking at
0: these tools. Yeah, Tom, and you're right that uh, his comment about radical freedom and uh, democratized AI does, does sort of sound like it came from a prompt that, that says, uh, describe democratized AI in the manner of a stereotypical movie <laughs> villain. Of a Bond yes. villain. Yes. <laughs> right. Yes. So... I think in, next we'll, uh, we'll kind of go to the practical and uh, tell people how they might be able to try this out and, and learn some more. But before that, we need to take a quick break
1: for a word from our sponsors.
0: Be the best resource you can for your Spanish-speaking
1: clients with the Spanish Group's Legal Translation Service. Experienced translators ensure accurate translation of your documents with same-day delivery. Confidentiality is ensured, and the Spanish Group guarantees acceptance for certified translations. All that and their rates are competitive. If you need other languages, the Spanish Group translates in over 140 languages. Mention Legal Talk 20 when you request your quote for 20% off your first translation. Visit thespanishgroup.org. Delegate out those tasks that take up your time.
0: And we are back. Tom, I have to admit that I am really excited about these technologies. So, you are usually more circumspect than I am. Uh, so, what are good first steps for listeners to try? Well, I think that some
1: of the tools that I mentioned, some of them are free to use, that pseudo-write tool. You can go and write things whenever you want to and use it for free. So I would say, go and check it out and see what some of the options are. One of the tools that I recently used is, um, with I would call mixed results is a tool called Draw Anyone, and Draw Anyone is a tool that uh, you upload between five and ten photographs of yourself or whoever, um, and they have to be sort of close up. They can't be of other other people can't be in them. There can't be a lot of space around your face. Um, they have to be kind of close up pictures. It will analyze and intake all of that information. And then you can start doing different versions of those pictures. So after it took all my pictures in, I said, portrait in the style of Rembrandt. I said, uh, superhero, Tom is a superhero. There's a number of self-created prompts, or, or sorry, pre-done prompts that you can do. One of them is called Colorful, but when you in- enter it in, it says, portrait by Ken Gregoire, James John, Tran Nguyen. Trending on Art Station, 8K, Masterpiece, Chill Summer, Graffiti Paint, Fine Detail, Full of Color, Intricate Detail, Golden Ratio, Illustration. Those were all of the, the factors that went into creating a portrait of me, and I just have to tell you, I hated all of them. I think they're all terrible. I and I will never show them to anyone uh, outside maybe Dennis. I will say it's very interesting. I did see I did get some superhero pictures. I did see some things that were in the style of Rembrandt, um, but they are not things that I'm proud to show to anybody. Uh, that said, it was a good experiment. I was I it was nice to be able to say I want to see my picture in these different modes, and it was pretty successful in doing them in those particular different modes. Dennis, what about you? What kind of experiments have you been doing?
0: Well, as I mentioned, I'm actually on a pretty regular basis for my classes and for a presentation I just did. Uh, I'm I'm using Dali 2 to illustrate PowerPoint slides, and it's you know conceptual things, uh, stylistically to you know to fit some things. I also did a thing where I'm I'm working on a. a, a an architecture project I'll I'll keep it vague on that where I was just able to describe what I wanted to do and had uh, Dolly 2 generate some pictures and it was pretty pretty cool how that worked where I want to want to go though is more into the GPT-3 stuff which I haven't done yet so I guess let me talk a, a little bit about a couple of things that that I want to try that I that I've seen. So uh, I'm really intrigued by the idea of generating summaries. Uh, I heard somebody talk recently about uh, taking, sort of training the GPT tools on a book they had written. So imagine Tom and I took our collaboration tools book, and then we were able to create uh, like a a chat bot sort of thing where people could ask us questions um, and it would answer, you know, using stuff from the book. So it sounded like Tom and I, you know, answering the questions in our own voice. I think that's super cool. I saw something where somebody's able to embed some script to invoke GPT-3 into uh, into spreadsheets. And then, you know, based on the information they're capturing in, it was in Google Sheets, but they were generating thank you notes. They were... Uh, creating tags and you know filling in columns you know based on uh, what GPT uh, 3 was predicting um, that was really cool so I, I just think there's a whole lot happening in the text world um, that I want to play with and then starting to combine like a few a few different things into into one thing but I this notion of of generating tags which is seemed like an insurmountable problem for me but the idea of if I could just kick it over to to an ai tool that just kind of made its best effort at generating tags i think that would go a long way for me what about you tom
1: i think that the next thing that i want to do is as i slowly but surely make my way towards making videos and or other podcast or audio offerings I'm very intrigued with the idea of editing video or audio using a tool like Descript where um, I can just easily type in and it will use my voice pattern to say the words without me having to re-record anything. I'm really intrigued with that, um, and so I think that's probably my next area of looking at it is to is to figure out um, whether or not it can successfully edit a video just by typing in text and not have to use a complicated um, audio or video editing tool that I would be spending hours and hours learning how to use when all I really have to do is go in and delete some words or add some words, and the uh, AI will take care of the generation. And the editing for me.
0: Yeah, I mean that's sort of attractive too. If if you had a tool that you could just say, take the the video from the starting point to one second before I first start talking and delete that, that would like be really kind of a cool a cool thing that you could do and, and you could imagine some other things like that. So Tom, this is, you know, usually we talk about new technologies and we say, well, you know, kind of fit it into the technology kind com- you know, duty of technology competence framework. And is this something that a, a lawyer would need to to know, you know, under, under that type of, of standard. But I sort of see the impact of these tools to me could just be immense. Um, and it's, it, it's, tons of implications. So it's it's one of those things where, you know, normally I'm like a little bit, you know, on the one hand, on the other hand, uh, about whether, uh, you know, lawyers or our listeners should, should uh, dive into this and learn more about it. But this one, I come fully on the side of this is something you need to be learning. And so I think it's just going out there and kind of seeing what's possible, looking at some of the main tools and and look at some of the examples and videos. And I think you can find stuff on YouTube where people are doing illustrations. Um, and some there, there's some very cool stuff out there. But that's what I, I would do is kind of see what's out there and then figure out ways to experiment because uh, it's happening. It just feels like it's happening really fast and the power of this kind of just just kind of suddenly happened for us and to understand uh, i think you want to understand what the potential is what the potential risks are where you're likely to show where it's likely to show up Uh, and there's going to be like a ton of issues out there uh, that you just need to be aware of
1: well and i think that the that this is a Another competence, another technology competence issue that we talk about all the time here. And uh, whether it's something you use, something your clients use, um, it's definitely something you need to be aware of. I think, Dennis, you're right. This is going to be huge whether we want it to or not. And I think it's coming faster than some of the other things that we've talked about. I think some of the other things are more speculative or are going to take a long time. This seems to be on a very fast track. All right, we've got to move on to our next segment. But before we do that, let's take a quick break for a message from our sponsors. Filing court documents, serving legal papers, collecting electronic signatures, all critical parts of the litigation process, yet ones that are time-consuming and error-prone. But what if you could do more straight from your case or document management software?
0: And now let's get back to the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. It's time for the segment we like to call Hot or Not. We pick a tech topic in the news and discuss whether it's hot or not. We might agree, we might disagree, but you'll get our insights and perspectives on the topic. And you are welcome to suggest future hot or not topics uh, for us. So as people lately, and even as we're recording this, seems like very quickly are scurrying to find Twitter alternatives. One of our favorite old technologies has started to get some mentions, and it's it's really simple syndication or RSS. So back in uh, 2003, JD Lessica. Uh, described RSS as news that comes to you. And some are seeing, uh, and you can think of it in terms of news feeds or you know where you get the updates without actually having to go to the site. So some are seeing a return to RSS as a possible way to bring you Twitter-like updates, potentially with more control. So, Tom, RSS, is it hot again? Or is it not? Or is, or is it just kind of pointing this away to a, uh, a concept that might, uh, might become helpful to us again.
1: Well, you know, Dennis, your use of things like I'm hearing people say or some people are seeing sounds very shady because I'm not seeing the same stories you're seeing. I'm not hearing the same things about RSS. I feel like this is uh, you're wanting to manifest something here. And I, I think the thing is RSS has always been a way To bring you updates of information that has never changed Um, and it's still doing that you are still getting rss feeds um, on lots of major news sites whether you use a news reader or a feed reader or not rss is still being used behind the scenes at many of the sites that you happen to capture information for and you and i have been huge proponents of rss even even after Google Reader died, um, and people started to abandon it for easier updates through tools like Twitter. I mean, I think that's why most people went to Twitter, because it seemed to be easier, less friction. You can talk to people at the same time. But I still use an RSS reader today because it still brings me some news that I can't get through Twitter or that doesn't seem quite as uh, reliable. I agree that RSS is a partial alternative for Twitter with a couple of caveats. First of all, it's only good for receiving news updates. So if you use Twitter just to get the latest, it can serve that purpose, it can serve that purpose. If you're also using Twitter to promote your practice or your business, um, or if you enjoy having conversations with others in the community, I would say that RSS is next to useless. I mean, it's really just a one-way conversation. It's information that it's news that comes to you. That's what we call it, and it's not anything else. And it depends on the people having something to say, publishing via an, an RSS feed. So if the people that you usually follow on Twitter. Don't make some jump to a blog or another type of site that has an RSS feed. You're going to lose that voice. You're only going to have the, the mainstream websites and tools and and people who set up, you know, you can set up a, a Substack newsletter that has an RSS feed to it that gets delivered to you in that way. But you otherwise are going to lose out on a lot of voices. Now, those voices may be going to other tools, so you may be losing on them anyway. It doesn't matter. But I think you will be limited to those sites or people who use RSS, and you're not going to be able to guarantee that anybody is going to continue to use them because I think that – so I would say that RSS is not any hotter than it has ever been. I would say that it is about as hot as it has always been. I don't see it becoming hot with people abandoning Twitter and suddenly generating their own RSS feed so that we can continue to follow what they say. I just don't see it making a big comeback uh, because Elon Musk took over Twitter. As much as I would like to see Google Reader resurrected, I don't think that it's going to happen. So I'm just going to say, eh, it's just it's, it's just there. Dennis?
0: You know, I, I think I'm going to end up uh, close to you, but I, I think that the conversation and you know and what's happening with Twitter as it. Uh, f- f- Forces us to think about alternatives and what we use Twitter for. Those of us who use Twitter is, I, I think, useful. And I think the the concept of RSS and maybe its use in the background as like a you know part of the internet plumbing and how how uh, information is delivered is actually kind of interesting as a way to to take advantage of something that already exists and and to use it in sort of new and and perhaps better Better ways that help us, but I, I think what's more important is this: is there's the two elements of RSS that you can you can subscribe to something, and then the updates just come to you. Um, I think that one's really useful, and the fact that you have control over what you know, what you subscribe to. I think both of those components are uh, things that you consider as you look at at Twitter alternatives. So the RSS concepts um, and the the idea of having a news reader where I say I just go to one place, uh, you know, one app, one website, and I get all the information that I want in one place, like a dashboard, and I see new stuff as it comes in, is really attractive. And that is one of the uses that people make of, of Twitter. But it's that one piece of it that you say I have to replace because it's not RSS is typically you know unless you set something up with your own RSS feed it's not going to work as the way that you're you know direct messaging people that you're even posting as you do Twitter and it's probably not going to give you exactly the same sort of like what's hot kind of thing on on Twitter or have stuff just served to you by by algorithms so I think it makes sense where there's control so I don't I, I think the conversation around what RSS could give you is actually going to be a relatively hot in the conversation of what uh, the world's going to look like after this Twitter meltdown you know to whatever extent it melts down uh, but I think overall I agree with you it's it's sort of medium, to low on, on the scale. And it is going to be, uh, uh, ultimately it's going to be part of a techie part of the plumbing, but we'll, we'll see if you start to see news feeds, uh, I, I, Then you can sort of feel that RSS has become a bit hotter, but it's always going to be the background. So now it's time for our parting shots, that one tip, website, or observation you can use the second this podcast ends. Tom, take it away.
1: All right. I have a tip this week, a cool tip about a boring tool, and that is Microsoft Excel. So let's say that you get some discovery from a client or from the other side, and It's not a digital file. You get paper tables or paper uh, versions of information. Somebody gives you a bunch of printouts that are printouts of spreadsheets um, that have lots of information, um, and it's like, how are we going to get this into digital format? We could scan it, but it won't be really in something we can manipulate like in an Excel spreadsheet. What do we do? Well... The new, not the new, the Excel mobile app for both Android and iOS has a terrific feature in it. You create a new document, you click the insert button and then you do data from picture and it takes a picture of something and it will automatically scan that information and and put it into separate fields in separate columns just how it was originally and it is quite literally magic. Um, it is a great way that in case you are confused confronted with data that happens to be on paper i don't know that that's happening that much these days but you know i bet it does happen from time to time if you're confronted with that and you need to get it into a spreadsheet quickly insert data from picture using the excel mobile app it's a great tip
0: dennis i was gonna say you know that that is something that if you've uh, there was a time if you described that and you said if 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 we could do that with software that would totally be artificial intelligence and yep. you know and now, now it's, it's not, just sort of like a utility just it's just
1: a, you know? it's, just a <laughs> uh, it's just a menu item in an app
0: <laughs> so so we're at this time period where, when I I wrote this script, um, I w- my intro was going going to be like, "Well, we're at this time where we're all watching our four hundred one k's kind of drift downwards substantially, and we're being tested in our resolve in our investments." And then, of course, on the been, day been we a recorded, good week
1: this week, huh?
0: <laughs> yeah, on the day we recorded, like the stock market is up like five percent. But the message is that we're in this incredibly volatile time with investments, and so. So my parting shots are there's, there's two resources I use um, on the investment side because I think they're really easy to understand. They're, uh, they're devoted to long-term investing, and they just seem really smart. Um, and so one is called a newsletter called Humble Dollar, which is free. And it's it's just solid solid financial advice, and uh, I I really like it. And the other one I use is a is a podcast called Wealth Track, uh, which is uh, companion to a PBS show uh, with Consuelo Mack, and she's been doing it for a long time. But she interviews these uh, leading investors of these really significant mutual funds and uh, exchange traded uh, funds and and all sorts of things, uh, economists and stuff. And it's just really good because you get the perspective uh, and the, uh, the recommendations of, of people who've been doing this for a long time with great track records. And it's just a pleasure to, to listen to. Um, And it's, you know, her, her thing is always like, what uh, investment should you have if you're a, a long-term diversified investor? And that's that's what I think uh, I want to be these days and probably most of the rest of you do as well.
1: And so that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. You can find show notes for this episode on the Legal Talk Networks page for our show. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, on the Legal Taught Network site, or in your podcast app of choice. If you'd like to get in touch with us, remember you can always reach out to us on LinkedIn. We're also on Twitter, at least for now. And you can also send us a voicemail. We love to get your voicemails for our B segment. That number is 720-441-6820. So until the next podcast, I'm Tom
0: Myle.